Hello, friends. Kate and I are away for the next two weeks, and so we're not recording our regular podcast. However, since we every week talk about what we are preaching, we decided to share two sermons with you. This week, a sermon from me preached recently at Derrida Church, and next week, a sermon from Kate at The Grove. We hope you enjoy them, and as always, thanks for listening to our podcast. to the Sunday morning podcast of Derrida Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. We pray you will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Philippians. We are entitling this series, Living in Relentless Joy. Philippians fits the theme of this year, 52 weeks of joy. Philippians is all about joy. So let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for Uh, Bibles we can open, the word to read. We're grateful for the freedom to gather in this place to worship and to hear your word. Thank you, God. We ask now for the help of the Holy Spirit that as your word is read and proclaimed, we might hear your very own voice speaking to our hearts. God, would you silence every voice within us but your own. Help us to hear your voice. By the working of the Holy Spirit, would you, would you remove any dark, demonic presence in this place? May the atmosphere of heaven be manifest in this place as we, as we gather at your feet, Lord Jesus, to hear your word. Thank you for this high and holy privilege. We are grateful. Come, Holy Spirit, open us to receive the word of God. May we hear, believe, and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 1. Hear now the word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right 
for me to feel this way about you, all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, people today are caught up in the pursuit of happiness. People search high and low up and down, here and there and everywhere for happiness. People grasp at this thing or that thing and nothing fills the emptiness of their souls. Their lives remind me of that old song by the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. That song says, and I try, and I try, and I try, but I just can't get no satisfaction. Thank you, Judy. We are, we are all familiar with that fast food restaurant with the golden arches. You know what I'm talking about? We're all familiar with that restaurant with the golden arches. They target, they market to children something on their menu called a happy meal. (laughs) They place the food in pretty packaging, and along with the food, there is some little trinket for the kid to play with. And for a moment, when the kid gets the Happy Meal, there is a surge of happiness. But as soon as the food is consumed and the trinket is played with for a little while, it is back to square one. And the kid has to get another Happy Meal and another Happy Meal and another Happy Meal. And they never stay happy. So let me ask you this morning, what's your Happy Meal? What's your Happy Meal? What are you turning to over and over again, seeking satisfaction for your soul and finding only a vapor? For many people today, it's their, <laughs> it's their cell phone. It's, it's, it's Facebook. Studies are showing that people are increasingly becoming addicted to technology. Facebook and other social media, they're they're, they're designed to, to hook you. There is a reason why people in the technology industry, they don't let their kids have cell phones. What's your happy meal? What's your happy meal? Is it comfort? 
Some people just will not be happy unless, unless they are comfortable. They do everything they can to avoid anything that is difficult, challenging, or painful. What's your happy meal? Is it control? Some people, they will wear a frown unless the people around them are doing what they want, when they want, and how they want them to do it. What's your happy meal? Is it comfort? Is it control? Is it the applause of the crowd? Is it money or material things, power or pleasure? Whatever it is, it's a vapor. It will not satisfy. We Christians, as we read the Bible, as we get to know Jesus, we start to see that life is not about happiness. Life is not about happiness. It's about joy. And joy is different from happiness. You don't have to chase after joy. Joy is the gift of God. Joy is the gift of God given uniquely and supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. When you trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, the Bible teaches that you are then made right with God. Jesus came to reconcile us to God, and in reconciling us to God, Jesus gives us a supernatural joy. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and the Holy Spirit produces on the inside of you heaven's own joy. So joy, joy, unlike happiness, doesn't come and go according to your circumstances. Joy doesn't come and go. Joy has a relentless buoyancy about it. It does not sink. Joy does not sink. Joy does not sink under the weight of your trials and troubles. Joy is, is relentlessly oriented toward hope. Here's the definition that we've been working with all year. Here's the definition of joy that we've been working with all year. Joy. Joy is the gladness of soul that comes from knowing you are right with God. And because you know you are right with God, you know that you can expect good from God. Joy is the gladness of soul that comes from knowing that you, you are right with God. And because you are right with God, you know that you can expect good from God. So if you are walking in joy then your circumstances don't matter. Your circumstances don't affect your joy because you know that, that you've been made right with God through the blood of Jesus. And because you've been made right with God, you know that God is for you, not against you. Because you've been made right with God, you know that God is working all things out for your good. So often people lose their joy in times of trouble because when trouble comes, they start to think, oh, was God angry with me? Is God mad at me? Has God forgotten me? No. 
You've been made right with God. You've been reconciled to God. God's for you, not against you. He's, he's working even the trouble out for your good. And so joy remains even in trouble. Unlike happiness, joy, joy will be your companion. Joy will be your companion through the storm. Happiness is like a bad boyfriend or girlfriend. When the going gets tough, happiness is gone. They're like, out, see ya. I'm not going through this with you. But, but joy, oh, joy is like a good spouse. They're, they're just going to hang in there with you and hang through the good, the bad, the ups, and the downs. Joy it will be your companion through the storm. Joy will walk with you through the dark valley. Joy will, joy will even be there on your deathbed and go down to the grave with you, reminding you, reminding you that there is coming a great getting up morning in glory. Life is about joy, not about happiness. This takes us to Philippians. Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the city of Philippi. Philippi is located in the area that we now know as northern Greece. This letter is like a honeycomb oozing with honey. It is all about joy. Philippians is just four chapters long. It's not, it's not a long work. It's just four chapters long. But in, in those four chapters, Paul uses the words joy and rejoice 16 times. Chapter 1, joy, 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 joy. Chapter 2, joy, 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 joy. Chapter 3, joy, 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 joy. Chapter 4, joy, 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 joy. There, I just summarized the whole book. And understand that as we walk through Philippians, Paul's circumstances were not pleasant. He was going through it. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in jail for preaching the gospel. Paul had, been be had, had his back just laid open with beatings. Things were not well with the apostle when he wrote this letter. He was under guard, under the guard of Roman soldiers. But instead of being broken and bitter, instead of getting stuck on why me, poor me, why do I have to go through this? How long will this last? I mean, we really get stuck there. How long, how long, how long? Will, when will this be over? When is this situation going to change? Instead of getting stuck there, Paul was living in relentless joy. Let's look again at the first two verses. The first two verses, like letters today, like letters today, letters in the ancient world, stated who the letter was from, who the letter was for, 
and gave a greeting. That's what the first two verses are about. The first two verses tell us who the letter was from, who the letter was for, and gave a greeting. Verse 1 begins, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul, the author of this letter, included his apprentice, Timothy, in the greeting. Paul says that they are servants of Jesus. Uh, the Greek there is, is stronger than our English translations. Uh, in, in, in the Greek, Paul, Paul says, uh, the, the Greek word there is doulos. It means, it means a slave. It means just an outright slave, someone who is owned by another. Now, that, 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 that doesn't sound pleasant to our modern ears, but the apostle Paul knew that we all serve someone or something. We all serve someone or something. And whatever you serve will be what you look to to find joy. So I got to ask you this morning, what are you serving? What are you serving? Are you serving self? Are you serving money? Are you serving the approval of people? What are you serving? Paul makes it very clear that his devotion is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. In the second half of verse 1, Paul addresses this letter, quote, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Paul calls the Christians in Philippi God's holy people. The Greek word there is also translated saints. If you're reading a different translation, it'll, it'll have the word saints. Listen, every person who trusts Jesus for salvation is a saint. Every person who trusts Jesus for salvation is one of God's holy people. As you look around this congregation and you see people who have, who have, who have made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, you are looking at a saint. When you look in the mirror, if you have made a, a, a confession of faith that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, when you look in the mirror, you are looking at a saint. You are looking at one of God's holy people. Now, you may not feel like a saint. You may not act like a saint half the time. But the truth of the Word of God is that you are a saint. You are one of God's holy people. You, th that word saint means set apart by God as God's special possession for God's special purpose. So people who are in the church who confess Jesus Christ are saints. We are people who are set apart by God as God's special possession for God's special purpose. We are the saints of God. And you ask, well, how? How, how, can, how can you call people like us God's holy people? You are God's holy people. How? By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
right? Don't get it so twisted. You and I are not so great that God says, oh, these are just my... No, it's, it's, it's by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This letter is addressed to the saints together with the overseers and deacons. The overseers and deacons. The overseers and deacons. The overseers, that refers to the office of elders, deacons. This letter is addressed to the saints together with the overseers and deacons. So this this letter is addressed to the whole church. This is for everybody in the church. Now, back in Paul's day, this letter, Philippians, would have been read in its entirety from beginning to end in the context of Christian worship gathering. When they when they gathered someone's home for worship, this letter, when it was received from Paul, would have been read in its entirety. And you should try that sometime during the curse, during the course of this series. In one sitting, you should just read through this letter. It only takes about 15 minutes. So, verse 1, we're told who the letter is from, who the letter is for, Verse 2, Paul greets his readers. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those words ought to sound very familiar to you. They are the words of greeting we use at the beginning of worship here at Dorita Church. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And peace. Once again, Paul is pointing to the foundation of our joy. Grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Grace is God being good to you because God wants to be good to you. Grace is God being good to you because God decided to be good to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to work for it. You don't deserve it. God just decided out of the goodness and grace of God's own heart to be gracious, to be one who gives favor to people who don't deserve it. That's grace. Peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. 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 Peace means that there is no hostility between you and God. Peace means that God is not holding anything against you. Peace means that even though you you fail, you sin, you disobey, even though you deserve punishment, peace means that God God's not holding anything against you. That there's no hostility between you and God. And because you have peace with God, you have the peace of God. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Through Jesus Christ, understand that God's disposition towards you, God's attitude towards you is grace and peace. So in in hardship, once again, in hardship, you and I do not lose our joy. Because we know that no matter what comes our way, no matter how hard, how difficult, how challenging life gets, God's disposition toward us is always grace and peace. Grace and peace. Well, in verses 3 through 11, In verses 3 through 11, Paul begins to get into the heart of this letter. 
And I want you to notice that in verses 3 through 11, Paul doesn't tell the Philippians to do anything. Paul doesn't give them any commands to follow. Paul doesn't even give them any advice. In verses 3 through 11, Paul is simply celebrating. He's, He's celebrating the joy of partnership. You see, your joy isn't just about you. Like a web, like a a network, your joy is linked up and connected to the joy of other believers. And so as Paul moves into the body of this letter, he celebrates the joy of being in partnership with other believers. I want you to lock that down in your heart and mind today. Celebrate the joy of partnering with other believers. If I have the joy of the Lord and you have the joy of the Lord, there's something about us, about we, about together that intensifies our joy even in the hard times maybe even especially in the hard times. Years ago, I hated to fly on planes. Whenever I had to go to a conference or a denominational event, I hated to fly there. But then Han and I got married, and we started flying places together, right? Families in California, so you got to get on a plane and fly there. And now I love flying, I love flying now because I love flying with her. There's something about we, about us, about together that intensifies joy. Listen, friends, whatever is the next step of faithfulness God has for this church, it has to be we. It has to be us. It has to be together. It cannot be, well, that's those people's thing over there, and that's those other people's thing over there, and we're going to let those people over there do their thing, and, and we'll just do our thing over here. No, it, if, if we're going to be faithful and we're going to walk in joy as a church, it's got to be us. It's got to be we. It's got to be together. Amen? So Paul is celebrating the joy of being in partnership with the Philippian believers. Look at verses 3 through 5. Verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you all, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Although Paul was in a Roman jail, he was rejoicing He was remembering with thanksgiving to God the Philippians partnering in the gospel. Understand that word partnering or partnership in in the New Testament. Uh, The word partnership uh, comes from the word, the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia, it's often translated fellowship. Uh, It means to hold something in common. So whenever you see partnership or fellowship, it's that Greek word koinonia, and it means what we have in common. And what Paul is celebrating here is that he and the Philippians have something in common, the person of Jesus Christ who is the giver of joy. There are churches today that are leaving the language. They're leaving the language of church membership in favor of church membership partnership. 
They're doing that, they say, because we live in a consumer-oriented society. And in a consumer society, the primary mentality that people have is that you pay money in order to get goods and services in return, right? You and I don't go to Walmart or Target and just give them our money without expecting something in return. In a consumer society, when you hand over money, you expect to receive something in return. In a similar way, when people hear membership, they think things like a club membership or a gym membership. So if I give my money, then the institution is all about giving me goods and services. And so there are many people who have transferred that mentality into the church. If I give my money to the church, then the church is all about giving me religious goods and services. And the problem with that is that it makes the congregation passive. It makes you audience. It takes away your active ministry. The New Testament vision is that you and I, pastors and elders and the saints, that we are partners working together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul, Paul is remembering the Philippians, he's, he's joyfully celebrating the partnership of the Philippians, right? Let, just, just walk with me a little bit. Um, some of the history of what Paul has, has gone through with these Philippians. Uh, this church was founded in, in Acts chapter 16. I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago when we looked at Acts chapter 16, Paul and his friends were on his second missionary journey and they wanted to go to the region of Asia and Bithynia and the Holy Spirit said no. And then in the night, uh, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia Philippi is in Macedonia. He had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And they concluded that God wanted them to preach the gospel there. So they cross the sea, they get to Philippi, they get to Macedonia. And instead of meeting a man, Paul and his companions meet a woman, a woman named Lydia. Because there were not enough men to establish a synagogue in Philippi, these women met by the river for prayer. And so Paul went there to preach the gospel. And a woman named Lydia, the Bible says, God opened up her heart to believe the message of the gospel, and she became a believer. Now, the Bible also tells us that Lydia was a woman who was a dealer in purple cloth, which means that she was probably uh, very wealthy because purple cloth was, was expensive. It was, it was rare. People wanted purple cloth. And, and the Bible tells us that that Lydia's home became, became the center of the church in Philippi. They began to meet in Lydia's home. And not only was Lydia baptized, but her whole household was baptized. And so from there, Paul and his companions preached the gospel and began to win converts in Philippi. And the Bible tells us also, going on in, 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 in the book of Acts, that Paul and his companions for days were going through the city of Philippi. And there was a slave girl. There was a slave girl who was filled with a demon. And as Paul and his companions walked through a Philippi giving the gospel, this slave girl followed them. And, and it, after days of this, it irritated Paul, and Paul cast the demon out of her. The Bible tells us that, that her owners, because this demon allowed her to tell fortunes, her owners made a lot of money off of her. 
And when Paul cast this demon out of her, they could no longer make money off of her. And so they were angry, they were angry, and they were angry. And they came after Paul and his companions. They went to the magistrate. They had Paul thrown into jail. It says severely beaten again. His back laid open with a severe beating. The Bible says that there in the jail, around midnight, they were singing hymns to God. Right, joyfully singing hymns. They're just in joy. God caused an earthquake. Prison doors opened. The chains fell off. And there was the, the, the guard, the Philippian jailer. And he is he's out of his mind worried because he knows that if the prisoners escape, it's going to mean his life. He's going to have to give his life for escaped prisoners. But Paul and his companions stay put. Because this man was about to kill himself. He was reaching for a sword. We're we're still here. And the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Paul tells him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He joins the church. His whole household is baptized. They join the church. The jailer then took Paul and his companions to his home and ministered to his wounds, fed him a meal. Now, Paul, but he was, he was still a prisoner, but eventually he was released. And when Paul was released, he went to Lydia's house, and the Bible says that, that the believers, they, they just ministered to Paul. They encouraged Paul, and they sent him on his way with, 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 with encouragement to continue his missionary journeys. They, they, they gave him gifts. They, they were, they were, even though Lydia was wealthy, the, the church was not wealthy. This was not a wealthy group of people, but still they were generous towards Paul. And Paul, Paul is so, now sitting in jail once again, he's just so grateful. He's grateful for the the partnership of these Philippians because he knows he's not in this by himself. Paul, celebrating with joy, partnership with fellow believers. Second, Paul, in these opening verses, he, he celebrates the joy of being in partnership with God. He's not only in partnership with people, but he's in partnership with God. Now, here's something we don't think about very much. We are partners not only with each other, but with God. God partners with us. And of course, God is the senior partner who supplies the agenda. He supplies the power. Our part is faithful obedience. And even with that, we have the help of the Holy Spirit. God partners with us. What better partner could we have? If God is our partner, then the future is always bright and full of hope. Listen. God is faithful to complete his work. God will not let his work go unfinished. Things in your life, things in the church may not look good right now, but God is faithful to complete his work. Things in your life, things in the church may be hard, painful, scary, and without easy answers. But God is faithful to complete his work. Look again at verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, being confident of this. I love 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Being confident of this. Someone said to me recently in a teaching session, someone said to me that the problem with many small Presbyterian churches, I'm quoting them, is that they lack the confidence of knowing that God has empowered them. And because they lack this confidence, many of them have given up. When I heard that, it hit me like a ton of bricks. He says, the the, the problem may be in your church. I know it with other churches. They just lack the confidence that God is with them, is empowering them to do the work. And when, and when people lack the confidence that God has empowered them, well, you, you just give up. You just, you just hang on. God is our partner. Being, being confident of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that the work God, that work God started in you when he saved you, he will complete by bringing to glory. You will make it. Jesus said, I will lose none the Father has given to me. Paul is also saying that the work God started in establishing and planting the church, he will complete. He will see it all the way through. So in spite of the current hardship in your life and in the church, rejoice even as you work. Rejoice even as it's hard. Rejoice because God is faithful to complete the work. God leaves nothing undone. He leaves nothing half-baked. God is faithful So as hard as it is right now, you might as well rejoice because God's going to do his work. He's going to get his work done. So we might as well just join him and rejoice on the way. Even if we have to go through rough patches and dark, let's just rejoice because he will get it done. I have a third point, but the spirit is moving me to stop right here. I think we need to stop right here. We'll we'll just pick up next week with verse 8. Listen, friends. I don't know. I don't know what you're going through today in your life. But you got to know you have sisters and brothers who are partnering with you. Partnering in prayer, in affection, in giving and generosity, you are not alone. Even more, the Lord is your partner. He is faithful to complete his work in you. Stop worrying. Stop being fearful. He's faithful. 
You are not without help and hope. There are many challenges before us as a church, but saints of God, hear me. We are in it together. We're in it together. And again, God is our partner. He is faithful. So, Dorada Church, can we just rejoice? Can we just get glad? Can we just stop wishing that things were different or that things, oh, if we could just go back to when it was this way or that way, or oh, I can't wait until the future of this. Can we just get glad now? Can we just rejoice now? Because God is faithful. There's no need for us to walk around here with long faces looking down at the ground and say, oh, well, you know, some things aren't going. Okay, some things aren't going so well. God is faithful. I heard the story of two men. Story of two men. They were walking past a castle in the evening. And one man said to the other, Oh, I see the king is at home in the castle. The second man asked, Well, how do you know the king is at home? How do you know the king isn't away traveling somewhere? How can you be so sure that the king is at home in the castle? And the first man answered, I know the king is at home because the castle is all lit up. Is the king at home in the castle of your heart? If so, then light it up with joy. Is the king at home in the castle of this church? Come on. Is the king at home in the castle of this church? Is the king at home in the castle of this church? Then we should light it up with joy to let people know that the king is here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you are God Almighty, that you sit high and you look low, that you are God, you have the bird's eye view on our lives and on this church. There is nothing that we face, nothing we have to confront that you already don't know about. We thank you, God, that, that even though we don't always see the way clearly. You see the way clearly. We don't always know what to do, but you know what to do. We don't have the strength, but you have the strength. So, God, we thank you. We thank you that you have made us family in Jesus Christ. You have made us partners by the Spirit. You have brought us into your family and given us Jesus Christ in common, and we have supernatural joy together. We are partners in this ministry. None of us is simply a passive recipient just along for the ride. No, we are partners. We are all doing what we can, contributing what you have given us for the advancement of the gospel in this community. Thank you, God, for making us partners. We are 
not alone. We have our brothers and sisters partnering in giving, in, in prayer, in affection. Thank you, God. Most of all, we thank you for your partnership. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you lead us and guide us. We thank you that you are faithful. We don't know what to do here, God. We don't know all the answers, but you know. And so we are trusting you. You are the senior partner of this ministry. We're grateful that you supply the agenda and the power. We're grateful, God, that you even give us the strength to walk in faithfulness. So, God, in this season, would you just give us the next step of faithfulness and help us to step into it, even if it's risky, even if it's scary, even if we don't know how it's going to turn out? Would you just lead us and guide us in this ministry, God? And Father, we pray that you would help us to be a people of joy. May the people we encounter in this world see our faces, our lives lit up with the joy of the Lord. Your word says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Your word says you have spoken to us that our joy might be complete, God. Would you speak to us? Would you, would you lead us? Would you make our joy bright and a light to this community, God? Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing even now in our hearts and minds. Thank you for what you're doing even now in this body of saints called Derida Church. Thank you, God. Would you, would you break off of us by, your power, by the power of your spirit? Break off of us discouragement. Break off of us negative thinking and negative talk. Would you break off of us the fearful bondage of the enemy, God? Would you just release us into a life of joy? Would you release us into relentless joy? Would you release us into explosive joy? As we, as we prepare to watch fireworks this 4th of July, would you make our lives, would you make our joy, would you make this ministry like fireworks in this community that others might look up and ooh and ah at what you do in and through us? God, we know you can. We know you're able. We know you're willing. Would you move in this place and light us up with your joy, Father? We need you. We need the powerful work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. We rebuke every plan, scheme of the enemy. God, would you overcome by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. We love you and we honor you.